0: This is a commune
1: podcast.
2: Yes, I'm in love with her. And why shouldn't I be? When you see someone fighting against the system, You know, being the only ray of hope in the midst of a corrupt, broken ecosystem. When you see someone following passion like it's meant to be followed, working hard, with honesty. When you see someone who's perhaps the only one representing credibility in their profession, then... Dad? Dad, what are you talking about? News. That's what I'm talking about. News. And that's what this episode aims to uncover. The breaking news around almost the breakdown of the news industry. And I have with me someone I deeply, deeply respect and admire. So let's not waste any more time and welcome on this third episode of Stupid No More, someone who is redefining what news should really stand for. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Veide Souza. So since we have a limited time frame, let me just ask you the most important question.
0: Okay.
2: Which is, what is the inside scoop on what happened at Mirror Now? (laughs) I know you will not answer that. <laughs> I know you're just saving the answer for some late night show with Jimmy Fallon. I'm saving the
1: answer for a book.
2: Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, why waste it on some Indian comedians podcast? <laughs> if it was Jimmy Fallon asking you, you would have done that. <laughs> but on a serious note, Faye, thank you so much for joining into the podcast. Thank you. Uh, you know, my motivation to do this particular episode on news uh, comes from a story uh, when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and we would be watching Dudash and especially news and there'll be some politician being interviewed. I would always ask my dad, is he a good politician or is he a bad politician? Mm -hmm. And if my dad said he's a good politician, then I would listen to that particular interview. Okay. Now, just the other day, we were sitting at home and we were watching news. Uh, My son asked me, is he a good journalist Or is he a bad journalist?
1: Oh, God. Okay. And I felt so
2: sad. It was really tragic. That is tragic. So I thought I should get the best journalist that we have in our country. (laughs) Onto to this podcast. Unfortunately, she was busy. So we had to kind of get you. <laughs> no, just kidding, Faye. I'm a huge, huge fan of yours. Oh,
1: I'm a huge fan of yours. I love your work.
2: Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot. But you know, by a long stretch of margin, I think you are one of the finest journalists that this country has ever produced.
1: That's very kind.
2: You know, I became a fan of yours in the early days of Mirror Now when you had just started doing these uh, primetime debates. Yes. And I still remember that particular day we were watching you on... On the primetime debate and at the end of the debate there was a moment when you looked at the camera and you started off with your monologue
1: <laughs> oh wow Yes, that
2: was just unbelievably <laughs> strong
1: <laughs> thank you so
2: was that monologue planned
1: no they were never planned it was never scripted it was never planned it would always depend on how the debate went and whether or not i had anything to add ah, okay so the debates were never you could never script them right because you don't know how it's going to turn out i would script the opening because they, that have the details of the story that we were dealing with. And you need to be precise on those details. So the opening would be scripted. The conversation would largely be based on research. So I had a lot of research with me while we were in the conversation. And the end was always impromptu. It was, it was sort of an editor. But it became a thing, right? Yeah, it became a thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, it just it, it sort of came naturally because a lot of times I'd just be really upset. And one of the reasons for that is because these debates tend to be very inconclusive. The format is not very, uh, it doesn't move forward. You wind up in circles for an hour and then it's just really frustrating, you know, like where, what happened to the last one hour of my time?
2: Yeah. And, you know, while watching these debates, now, nah, I've always felt there is this moment when I think the anchor has almost gotten that guy, like one more question to a particular whatever panelist and it will be checkmate, right? It, the guy is cornered. And for some reason, just at that moment, the anchor would back out. Like they would just move the conversation somewhere else. It's almost like I can nail you right now, but I'm just letting you go. No. Is that I mean, deliberate?
1: I don't know. So in my case, I mean, I would ask whatever I had in mind. I mean, obviously, you can't think of everything on the spur of the moment. And you have to be legally and factually always in the right when you're doing you know, news. So there'd be a lot of questions that <laughs> you can't ask because, you know, legally... Either there's no proof for that, or factually, that has not been established. So,
2: ah, maybe. Okay. You
1: might want to ask some questions, but technically, you can't because as a journalist, you have to stay within a. Oh, I
2: thought you had pity on that guy. It was like, oh, okay, I will not shame you on national television.
1: I didn't. Oh, you didn't?
0: <laughs> 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 I can't think for everybody else that I did no.
2: Also, you know, I was watching your KEM coverage on your YouTube channel. Yes. And and just a side to all my listeners, if you are not following Faye D'Souza on YouTube, please do so right now. That's some real kick ass journalism right there uh, for you to watch. Thank you. Very brave of you by the way, first of all, to do that.
1: Thank you. Thank you. You
2: know, there's a COVID case in my apartment complex. Mm. It's another tar in the complex. Huh. You know, I don't even look at that tar now. <laughs> I am so scared. So very brave of you to go to KEM. And you know what caught my attention? Yes. In the end, when you're closing the uh, episode, you say that maybe in the last two or three decades, we as citizens haven't asked the right question to the government around the healthcare system in our country. And, you know, I felt that in a sense that kind of defined your journalism and it is all about asking the right question. Yeah. Now, what I'm intrigued about, Faye, is where do you get this optimism, especially <laughs> in today's time, that even asking the right questions will lead to anything good?
1: Okay, so it's more idealism than optimism mm-hmm. because you have to fundamentally, and I tell this to young journalists, I have a lot of young people, um, I speak to a lot of people in college who are still studying journalism and a lot of times there's some amount of, you know, a pessimism that has set in of, oh, you know, I don't know, what sort of a difference can we make really? Yeah. But I believe as journalists, you have to believe that your work can change something. Otherwise, you won't be able to get out of bed in the morning Hmm. because there's so much negative, as, as a journalist, you're consuming negative information. You have to consume all of it in order to distill the news and pass it on. So, If you don't believe that asking the question or doing the story or doing the work will make a difference to someone, then you can't do it. Because there's no actual, I mean, journalists are very poorly paid people. Oh, really? Across the board. Um,
2: Have you heard of stand-up comedians?
1: (laughs) Yes, I've heard of stand-up (laughs) comedians. And I know what you guys mean.
2: Okay, let's just (laughs) change the topic.
1: (laughs) So, I'm saying you you have to believe that there's a democracy. There's a government that is elected by the people in a democracy and that government is held accountable by three sets of people or three institutions. One, and obviously most importantly, is the judiciary. Okay. Second is the opposition within government. Mm-hmm. So basically the benches on the other side in parliament and in your state governments and in your uh, local city government. And the third is journalists, is the media. And the word media has been tarnished a great deal now, so let's just call journalists, hmm. journalist, okay? And I believe that these three have to function to some extent in order for the, the democracy to survive. The idea of the democracy not surviving is really scary. Like it's a reality that I don't want to, to accept.
2: None of us, I guess, yeah.
1: Yes, so these three arms function, maybe are functioning at very low rate, there's like very low blood pressure at this point in these three arms. There's a lot you can debate about how, you know, whether the media is holding up its end or whether the opposition is holding up its end, but they have to be holding up their end. Otherwise, the thing will collapse. So you have to ask that question. Because look at it this way, right? By watching the KEM story, you are asking the question to yourself right now. Yeah, Which means that in the next union budget, when it's announced, when everybody's saying, itna kharcha," we're going to do one defense and this, you'll say, hey, dude, what about healthcare? Correct. The fact that you ask that question as a citizen and a voter mm. means I've done my job.
2: Correct. But you know, off late, I've seen there is a formula that most people in power are applying that if there is any news that doesn't suit their agenda, it is fake news. Mm. I'm not saying fake news doesn't exist, but then there are guys like Trump who are like the torchbearers of this kind of a strategy. So as a journalist... But how, do you, how do you kind of navigate through this?
1: So, see, discrediting a journalist, discrediting an individual is a great way to dodge a question. Yes. So, for example, um, the a couple of days ago, Sabha Nakavi, was a very senior, very respected journalist, I respect her a great deal, was called a kitty party journalist by someone. And, you know, media cell picks it up. And now everybody on Twitter, every time she does something or says something, you know, oh, this is a kitty party journalist. What are you doing? You're discrediting this individual, so you don't have to answer her question. Yeah. Because when she asks a question then, and however valid that question is, in the minds of the viewers, they're like, "Ah, but ye matlab she's discredited for whatever reason. So you'll see that there are a lot of these questions that that get planted about And Donald Trump leading the charge of not answering questions that are uncomfortable and saying, this is fake, this is fake, yeah. this is fake, this is fake. The whole point of journalism is to bust the idea of fake news or fake information, right? So that's the job. So we can't let that get to us. We have to keep pushing. And the truth will set you free, I guess. <laughs> the truth will out eventually. You can only lie about something for so long.
2: Unless somebody says truth is also fake news, then we are all confused again. <laughs> I guess. (laughs) You know, when I came into comedy now, somebody told me, Mm -hmm. advised me that uh, if you want to really connect with the audience, there are two things that you need. And I guess it's just not comedy. It's every every kind of field. One is credibility. Mm. And the second is relatability. And somebody told me that initially, obviously, you will not have credibility. So try to build material which has relatability uh, with the audience that you want to cater to. Now, I think journalism today is facing a huge credibility issue. Yes. And you have worked in a news channel, a very big news channel, which obviously you will not tell us why you left. But despite that, you have been able to build mm-hmm. massive credibility for yourself. Now, going forward, what do you see as the big charter for yourself?
1: So to give you the short answer on why I left, I had promised myself and I knew the environment I was functioning in. I had promised myself that I would treat every show like it was my last show. And the day I could no longer be honest i would stop doing it because credibility i believe is you build one brick at a time every day you go in and you do honest work you put another brick in that wall and then over a period of time you build an entire structure of credibility it doesn't come overnight yeah. and you can't knock it down overnight but i honestly believe that if i went in and i did a dishonest job then i would be undoing a lot of work that i had put in and i just i mm. you know nothing was worth it i would have you know rather Twiddled my thumbs at home for a very long time, which I eventually had to do, (laughs) then go in and do a dishonest job. I mean, long story short, that was the choice that was placed before me. And that's what I chose. The other question was, what's my charter right now? Okay. My charter right now is to just provide you with information. Okay. I believe that the media has sort of lost its way a little bit. And I was part of it. So I've seen it from the inside. I've been part of the problem. We spend too much time on our opinions and our feelings and our outrage and, you know, what everything makes us feel, right? Yeah. Not enough time on information. So I was on something called gardening leave, which most people in corporate India will know. Where basically they send you home and uh, you can't come to the office, but you can't go anywhere else. You can't work, For You know, be, be home. And I don't have a garden, so. Because I live in a, <laughs> in a Mumbai flat, so. Uh, My idea of a garden is like a money plant that threatens to die every two weeks. (laughs) So I started then on Instagram, just writing news that should be headlines because I was so frustrated with what was going on and the number of stories that were getting missed by the media. And I realized that I want that to be my charter. Information without outrage,
0: Hmm. right?
1: It's not supari. It's not going after anyone. It's not putting anybody down. It's just, I'll just give you the information here is it. You take it.
2: I always used to smile. <laughs> you know, when that post would come up on Instagram, your post saying this should be the news of the day, it was so clear that there was a very subtle message you were passing to the news media saying, you idiots, this is what you need to focus on. <laughs> <Yes>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so even the Kamiya story, for example, or the Dharavi story we've done after yeah. that, or the Kama story we've done after that, it's very, listen, we went there. And this is what was going on. Now, here's all the information. I and mean, we really take time to turn these stories around. They take four or five days of editing and, you know, writing and shooting and stuff like that. Hmm. But the idea is, here's everything we discovered. Now, you decide how you feel about it. And you'll find that a lot of stories are, I mean, there's bad stuff going down. But there are also people working really hard. Of course. So, you can't write everybody off and say the government is really screwing up. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't actually slap them on the back and say, oh, you guys are doing a great job because Mm. things are missing, there are pieces missing, there are people struggling. So my charter right now is to just bring you the information and you decide what you want to do with it as a voter and a citizen. You decide how that makes you feel, whether you think it's right, whether you think it's wrong. If you want it to dictate your choice in the next election, if you want to do something about it, write about it, think about it, talk about it, it's up to you. You know, I want to back away from the idea that journalists will tell you, you know, feel angry, feel upset, feel sad. Yeah. You know, I don't want to do that anymore.
2: I had a very healthy debate with my son. He's doing uh, mass media in Mumbai.
1: Oh, is he going to be a journalist or he's going to be in editor.
2: Oh, yeah. Journalism is something that he's very keenly looking at.
0: Okay. Awesome.
2: And so we were talking about you. And, and just, just by the way, okay, every time I used to pitch you in uh-huh. your early days of Mirror Now... I would quote your own statement that, you know, you only talk about either the facts or yeah. the legality. And she gives a very balanced view to a issue. And my son said hmm. that as an anchor, it is just not about giving facts and figures. You got to have your own opinion. And I feel that that's where the media went off rail because a lot of them started thinking that their opinion is the be all and end all of everything. And they started enforcing that on, on the rest of the country.
1: No, so actually, I'll tell you what happened. So the opinion of a journalist or the senior most journalist of the organization, which is the editor, hmm. who's always made available to you, Back in the day, when you only read newspapers, you have an editorial page, which we still have, where the editor writes an opinion saying, this is what I feel about this one particular topic. And a lot of times you read that and it shapes your opinion as well. There's obviously a gatekeeper to these opinions. You have to be qualified in order to be able to write a column or an editorial piece. You have to be an expert on that subject or the editor of that particular organization. So what happened in television news was you'd have the news run through the day. In prime time at nine o'clock, the editor of that particular organization would anchor that show. Mm-hmm. And you could get that person's opinion because this is the editorial page of a television channel.
2: So you're saying that was that is a cycle. It is meant to be like that. It was meant
1: that. to be like that. But what happened with behavior? Behavior changed of the audience, right? With the advent of the internet people stopped watching the news that happens during the day. Right. And you're only watching that prime time because I've already had my news. I've watched it. It's come to me on the internet. someone's I know what's happened today. Mm-hmm. And so I've come in to watch the opinion at night. So as a result, you get the sense that all these guys are doing is giving their opinion. It's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when that opinion is not honest and meant to rile people up. It's meant to... You're doing it because you believe, for whatever reason, it's good for business as a journalist. Yeah. That's where there's a problem. If you put a box around it and say, hey, you know what, all of this is fact. In this box is my opinion. This is what I think. So the audience knows that, okay, this is fact. This is the opinion. But if I start writing opinions because my sponsors will give me more money, if I start writing opinions because the government will be happier with me if I write this, if I start writing opinions for any number of these reasons. Yeah then you have a problem. That's the problem.
2: So in reality, how much control does the editor have? Or is it a lot of pressure that comes from externally, whether it's the media house or you otherwise? See,
1: so the best part of the job is that uh, television moves so quickly.
0: Hmm.
1: News moves so quickly that there's no time for anybody to actually put external pressure on you until after you put the show on air, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> so I had, a, I had a very simple philosophy. I would never ask permission. I would always ask forgiveness what So I would go out and do whatever I wanted, which I think was. And were obvious. you doing that
2: on a daily basis? Asking for forgiveness?
1: <laughs> no, I mean I had a brief within which I had to function. It had to be stories of about citizens. And when that was given to me, yeah. stories about citizens meant potholes, traffic, pani water logging aura, you know that sort of stuff. Like BMC level. But I used to expand that brief to whenever I felt like it. So for, in my opinion, the citizens of Kashmir are citizens. Correct. Hence what's happening in Kashmir is a citizen issue. So I would go out and do the story, and I would do what you know as I thought fit. And then when I get a call, I'd be like, "Oh, really? Is it not a citizen issue?" (laughs) Oh, sir. But you know, I had already done whatever I did. So yes, I was uh, maybe living on borrowed time.
2: (laughs) I think you should have been closing your show with this only, like after your monologue. It should have been, "I'm sorry for everything that I just did."
1: I was just like, "Send out one blanket every day." So it didn't happen very often. Once in a while, there'd be a phone call saying that, "Acha, why did you do this story? Or what's going on here?" You know, there are some people, hmm. there are always some people who are upset about the story or some people who are upset about something. We get those points. Yeah. Uh, that was, it's the second advantage of working out of Mumbai as a journalist and not out of Delhi. You're not plugged into political circles. So they don't have access to you. Hmm. There's always a friendly who will call you and say, listen, so-and-so is very upset with you because to me, I saw story story. But by this point, the story is already gone, right? So you're. Like, I've done my duty towards my audience is done. I have not lied. I I've did what I have to do. I'll be partly and we'll see what, you know, we'll take the fallout as it comes.
2: So, Has it ever happened that you've done a story that you didn't believe in?
1: No, never. Awesome. Never, never. I've, I've not done stories.
2: That's a big badge of honor to carry.
1: Yeah. No, but I told you, this was my thing. I was adamant about it. I'm mad adamant about it. When there were days when there were stories that I completely despised and on a regular basis Indian media gets attached to stories that they completely despise, I used to simply take a left turn and go the other way. So I would discuss LGBTQI issues, mm. I would discuss mental health, I would discuss the uh, cyberbullying and the effects of social media on young people, I would discuss problems of uh, school fees. Because technically, there's this whole gamut of things you can discuss. And by discussing all of those things, I could completely avoid stories I didn't believe in.
2: And I think that was the beauty of it, right? Because a lot of time, there were these trashy news items which were being discussed uh, across all channels. And then you would flip to your channel and you would see that you were talking about some real issues, which was fantastic.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I had a team of very young people to begin with. And we would have very, very vivid discussions in our edit meetings on what should be priority today. And a lot of times, and I love young voices, because um, younger people are very idealistic. When you come out of college as, a, you know, you're a newly minted journalist, you believe you can change the world. And I like to tap into that idealism, because yeah. they are not, you know, after, say, 15, 16 years in the industry, you're like, oh, this is all, you know, you know that it's a longer route that, like, the world is going to change. Yeah. But I like the fact that young people believe that they can change the world. So a lot of times we've just like someone would just walk up to me and say, hey, you know what? Can we discuss this? Like I had a person in my team who came, came into my office when he was, he used to, uh, he was a very young guy. Uh, I was super fond of him. Hmm. He came into my office one day and he said, um, listen, I have to tell you something. So I said, OK, what? And he said, um, I'm gay. OK, cool. So what? And then we had this long conversation it was, and I, and it was a big deal for him to come out in the office and, you know,
0: yeah, of course. And, and
1: basically own his sexuality. But he talked a lot about abuse of young boys, sexual abuse of young boys mm-hmm. that doesn't, and rape of young boys. It doesn't get acknowledged in our country at all because uh, boys are supposed to be tough, yeah. right? Everybody's always talking about how you have to keep your girls safe and people are always like, but nobody ever actually worries about the boys. The boys, hey, uh, a
2: Ask my dad.
1: Yeah, <laughs> a lot of bad stuff happens to boys in our country. And the research shows, Anshu, that uh, more than half of the children below the age of 12 or 13 who get raped are boys. Really? It's closer to 56%. Um, wow. And we had this conversation and he said it would mean a great deal to me if you took this up. And I said, okay, let's take this up. And so I put him in charge of the content that we were going to do for the LGBTQI community. And he was not a journalist, journalist. He was in our social media
0: team.
1: I said, no, you decide, you bring me topics and say, no, I want you to do this. This is important. So he picked up, he headed that. And we did, uh, you know, we did entire shows about sexual abuse of children and telling parents how to be more careful, how what to look for, how to talk to kids about it, how to talk to your boys about it. And so we did a lot of stuff that I believed uh, empowered our viewers. Nice. It empowered them to be able to deal with the stuff that's going on in your life a little better. And that I believe, I mean, empowering people with information is a journalist's job. Um, I remember one of the first campaigns I commissioned mm-hmm. was about drugs in school. This was maybe three years ago. There was a case that popped up in Hyderabad. And I'm going to take some time because this was a really like thing case.
0: Oh, please do.
1: In Hyderabad, where uh, the cops picked up a drug peddler, okay. like they do. It was routine for them. And uh, they, like they always do, they scrub the phone. Now, all cops immediately scrub the phone to look for contacts and to look for who they're peddling to. Hmm. On the phone, they discovered a lot of compromising photographs. Oh, dear. Of underaged children, preteens, 12, 13 year old girls. Wow. On this child's phone. And on investigation, they realized that he had been selling to young children. And when they couldn't pay, he was asking for photographs in return.
2: Oh, my God.
1: And these kids, it turned out, were in a network of some of the most expensive schools in Hyderabad. And then we started digging from there. And we found the problem in every single city. Delhi has a huge problem. Bombay has a huge
2: problem. Yeah, I'm sure.
1: And they were coming in. There are stories where basically the maushis or the ayas are bringing the drugs in in their clothes. It can't be checked in their saris. Uh, It's coming in inside of pens where you open the pen and, you know, it comes out. Like, we actually had to do a show where we called in someone who showed us what these drugs look like. Because, look at it this way, right? As uh, you and I, if we were, let's assume, and we probably shouldn't, but if we were looking through our... uh, so, our pre-teens or a teenager's bag, <laughs> what would you look for? You'd look for a little cellophane packet of... Yeah, alcohol. the
2: most obvious things, I guess. Yes, yeah. you
1: know you know what both of these things look like. Now, drugs are a smiley sticker. They're a little like cellophane really? paper that goes on the tongue. Yeah, we don't, we don't even know what it looks like, dude, anymore. Chemical drugs, we don't know what this looks like. I'm telling you, go on to the...
2: Immediately en- after this. Yes. Forget the internet. I'm just going to go to my son's room now.
1: Because, you know, so it's very difficult to detect. Yeah. We don't know what to look for. Parents don't know what the behavioral patterns of kids who take drugs are. I mean, is your teenager just cranky and being a teenager? Or is your teenager on a substance? In fact, one of the biggest challenges that happened during the lockdown is that teenagers were trapped in the house of parents and their supply was Yeah, high. So
2: correct. these
1: were kids who were otherwise either smoking or drinking or doing some sort of drugs and suddenly they were cut off and parents didn't know that this bad behavior is actually a withdrawal symptom and so they it caused the first few months been really difficult for a lot of families so there's so much going on in our world that doesn't involve pakistan
0: <laughs> yes
1: and doesn't involve mandirs and masjids <laughs> You know, so there's so much work to do. And um, I have to tell you that I drive myself crazy because there isn't enough time to do all the work. Yeah, and honestly, you know,
2: these stories are so important.
1: Yes, they're life-saving.
2: I mean, this is the real stuff which is going to shape our country. And unfortunately, it gets ignored because I guess it's not masala news.
1: They get ignored not because they're not masala news. By the way, uh, they get ignored because it doesn't serve the purpose of... Powerful people.
2: Stopping these acts doesn't serve the purpose, you're saying? No, no, no.
1: See, you have to realize now, and when I told you in the beginning, right, so there are different groups of people who have to keep the government in check. Yes. You'll see now that there is a machinery that has been built between, say, Twitter and Facebook, which is your whole social media, WhatsApp thing. Uh, You've got Mm. within the media, and you've got, you know, these spokespeople of government who come out and say things like, the Party journalist who.
2: Yeah, correct.
1: Right. So what happens is very often there is a story that is leaked by government. Mm -hmm. It gets picked up on media or sometimes media breaks it a day before because it's leaked a day before. It gets picked up on media. It gets hammered, 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 hammered. Spokespeople come and say things and you'll see if you change channels and I really hope people stop watching these things. But if you change channels, you'll see they're all saying the same thing. The premise of all the debates are the same. Correct. The spokespeople are all saying the same thing on all debates because there's a brief. Everybody gets a brief. And then immediately WhatsApp and social media picks it up and they sort of whip it as well. So as an individual, you start getting this from 360. The government is saying it, your media is also saying it, social media is saying it, WhatsApp is saying it. And you're like, ah, this must be true. I'll give you a great example of this. Hmm. Tukde Tukde gang.
2: Oh, how I hate that phrase.
1: What is Tukde Tukde gang? But somehow everybody was saying it. Yeah. Now, there is an RTI a few months ago that was filed with the Home Ministry where the Home Ministry's response to the RTI was, there is no such thing as to play, to play gang on paper anywhere in the Home Ministry. So it doesn't exist. It's not mm. a thing. But it became a thing. And now when you say tukle tukle gang, there are certain individuals that come to mind because they will hold that. Right. It was, this is fake news. Yeah. It was designed in such a way where the media was doing it every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. And you were getting it on WhatsApp and you were getting it on social media and you were getting it. So it serves the purpose of news to be in that. And not to tell you about drugs and not to tell you about mental health and not to tell you about the environment and not to tell you about women's rights and Dalit rights and the real real problems and the real corruption, mm. the problems that are happening in our country. Because when you play part in that structure of propaganda, yeah. you get rewarded. And that's how these channels run business. Because then they get the advertising, then they get the support from the government, then they get the exclusive interviews from big ministers.
2: Yeah, I know you had this very interesting theory about... Uh poultry farm and chicken and who's the customer Yes. by the way i, I did my previous episode with megnath he's the associate editor of news laundry mm-hmm. so he was trying to explain to me your theory of chicken and poultry farm and uh, in his own words
1: <laughs> of who the
2: real customer is kheema <laughs> that's smart <laughs> i hope you're not coming into stand-up comedy anytime no <laughs> thank god you picked on the kheema thing very nicely No, I'm feeling disappointed as a comedian. Why did I not think of that? That's a comedian's ego getting hurt. But Faye, when you talk about all this, it seems like there is this big firework which is happening, okay? Of, let's say, this fake news, this controlled journalism, this big Hmm. media houses. And And then it's you on the other side who has decided to light this small fire. Yes. And it seems like a very long, frustrating journey. I mean, not frustrating, really, hmm. but long nonetheless. What do you want from citizens, from customers? Like, Vicky, I'm asking you guys of a lot of things, right? Uh, what is it that you want from end consumer in terms of behavior?
1: So, before that, just to then for those people who don't understand the chicken keema Oh,
0: please, okay. please.
1: So, basically, this is, this is, uh, and I've seen now television on the inside, right? So, this is what happens. Television is a very expensive medium to run. If you've been in a television studio, there are hundreds of employees. The smallest channel has at least 100, 150 employees, right? Hopefully those employees will continue to have jobs after this lockdown. But a lot of very selfish, very large organizations are firing people when they can afford to pay salaries. And it's really uncool. Um, You need studios, you need uh, distribution, satellite, equipment, cameras, all of that stuff. It's expensive. What is happening now is that three things are happening. One. For the English audience, at least, people are just cutting the cord and moving to OTT.
0: Hmm. You
1: used to watch live sports, movies, and GEC content, right? So, you'd watch Friends or you'd watch football, cricket, and you'd watch movies. All of this is now moved to OTT. You're not going to your television anymore. So, there is also now a reduction of the number of people coming to watch. So, the ROI on the investment is lower and lower. It's getting desperate and more Hmm. desperate. The try guidelines that says you have to subscribe to every channel that you want to watch and pay for it individually has made it even more complicated. Correct. So in the last year, even before the lockdown, television was a really difficult business. Television news, especially in English, is a really difficult business to run because it's very difficult for you to recover your money. Mm. So what's happening then? These channels are motivated then to go after TRPs. And they're going after TRPs for what? Because advertisers don't care about the quality of the news that you're putting out. They don't care if you're putting out news that's good for the country, bad for the country. If you fake news, if it's uh, divisive news, they don't care. You have the highest numbers, that's what's happening. So everybody wants the highest numbers because advertisers have no conscience right now about who they're supporting. Mm. There's no other way to recover your money because the audience is not paying for the content. You're actually not paying for the channel that you watch. You have to ask who's paying for this. The most important thing to then remember is that if you are not paying for something, you are not the customer. Mm. The person who's paying for it is the customer. And this service is going to serve that customer and not you. So you are not the customer of television news. You are the commodity of television news because your attention span, whatever it is, whether it is a minute or two minutes or six minutes, is being packaged and sold to somebody else, which is where my analogy comes in of in a chicken shop. You are the chicken. Mm. So you are the relationship with your television channel is the relationship that chicken has with real good chicken. Now it gets worse if that's possible. The biggest advertiser for news right now is the government. Yeah. And this is state and center. Now, central government in the last four five years before this last election spent thousands of crores of rupees on news advertising. That's a lot and lot of money. And so now you want to please your biggest advertiser. Because if you don't please your biggest advertiser, A, they will not give you interviews. You will not get any business. They will not put their janhitme mein jari ads. <laughs> During every election, there's a large spend of money that comes from political parties and from existing governments. You want that spend because as business dries up and it's going to happen even further after the lockdown, as business dries up more and more, you will see that they will become more and more desperate. Mm please their master, which is why you need to stop watching these channels. Or if you're going to watch it, be very aware of the fact of why they, what is their motive yeah. and why they're doing with it. They certainly don't care about you. They don't care about your well-being. They don't care about the well-being of society. They don't care about how many riots they start by doing shows that are Hindu, Muslim, Mandir, masjid constantly.
0: Yeah. When
1: a Delhi riot happens, they all turn around and pretend like, oh my God, I can't <laughs> believe this happened. You made it happen. Yeah. You were irresponsible with information. You used night after night lit fires, hmm. made communities look bad. You use words like jihad and, you know, um, you constantly yeah. talk about how you're saving the country. I mean, it's ridiculous. as audience members, I would just ask for two things. One, be aware of what you're watching and be aware of the damage it's doing. I mean, not just psychologically, because when you watch it right before you go to bed, it actually apparently takes a toll. But yeah. be aware of the fact that there's this is news that somebody else is paying for, that they're feeding you to make you feel and think a certain way. Understand that. And, and then go ahead and watch it if you want to. Secondly, if you really want to make a difference, support, monetarily support independent journalists. A lot of them are right now functioning online. Yeah. You can support them by you know either subscribing or paying for the news or supporting them in some way. Do that. And I'm not going to tell you who's good and who's not. I mean, I believe that the audience is fundamentally very intelligent and you know the difference. All you have to do is choose someone that you believe is doing good news for the right reasons and support them monetarily with your money so they don't have to put their hand out in front of anybody.
2: Fair enough. Now, I know that you are coming out with your new startup news venture called Beetroot. Yes. And uh, beautiful name, by the way. Congratulations. For its multiple
0: meanings,
2: (laughs) especially the be true one. (laughs) Now, in one of your recent interviews, when you were talking about this new venture, you mentioned this and I quote here, your new venture is where the subscribers could periodically hold the editor accountable and understand the editorial treatment of content that goes live. My question is, what does it mean when you say that I as a subscriber could hold the editor, which is you, accountable.
1: I'll give you a very quick example. When Sri passed away, there were all of these stories about how she must have been murdered and how this happened and alcohol and lay hey, something or the other. How did she fall into this like bathtub with only five feet and all of that jazz? Crap it was. There was not a shred of evidence to do any of that. And now, two years later, have any of those guys apologized for what they did to tarnish this woman's memory, the trauma that they put her family through? Not one apology has come. That shows you that there's no accountability. And they did it for one night's TRP. Just one night. Yeah. That's all that they got after doing that. It's a non-political story, right? So I believe that there has to be accountability. So accountability number one will be that there will be an editorial board. Like we have a board of directors. I'm also planning an editorial board, which will have senior respected journalists. Like a board meeting, we'll have a board meeting once a quarter. And I will have to be accountable for all of the mistakes that we've made or the errors that have been made. I'll have to present a report to that board saying these are the things we got right. These are the things we got wrong. These are the amends that we've made for whatever mistakes we've made. And they can ask me questions. I will be bound to answer them because they'll be my editorial board. And also those who subscribe to us as premium subscribers. We'll do a con call with them once a quarter. Oh, that's smart. Where they will be able to ask me questions of, hey, you know, why did you do this this way? Why did you write the headline like this? Why did you not do it like that? So people will be able to prepare a question and book a slot and say, you know what, this meeting, I want to ask the question. So there'll be a certain number of questions that we'll take. So it'll be like right now, CEOs are accountable to investors when they have have that investor's con call. It will be like that. It will be audience uh, members' call. So the premium members will get an opportunity to hold the editor accountable. So there will be accountability. I will have to answer for my motives and my decisions. And as editor, if I've decided something, I should be willing to defend it. I should have valid reasons for making that decision.
2: That's a fantastic process. Clearly, you've thought a lot during your gardening leave. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I know, Faye, uh, we are running out of time. You have to go... But thank you so much for uh, just being you. This is
1: fun. No, oh, thank you. But this was fun. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for being you so... You know, I
2: enjoy your uh, Insta IGTV live sessions. Uh-huh. Yes. So you come up with that play card? With that very <laughs> embarrassing smile saying, what am I doing? But your eyes... Uh, say yes. a different picture. It is almost like I've got this. So, so wish you success with beetroot. You know, we we all will be cheering for you and rooting for you.
1: Tell your son to be a journalist. It is a very very cool thing to be. I know. <laughs> I want
2: him to be a journalist. And yeah. I'm glad that you're coming back uh, in a big way uh, after your gardening leave so that he has uh, good examples to follow.
1: <laughs> well, we're already out there. We're already doing the work. So Yeah, yeah we're following you. Yeah, yeah, And there's Instagram and there's all of these things. And it'll just be an extension.
2: You've taken social media by storm. <laughs> you're putting us comedians to shame.
1: <laughs> no, but I do believe that, uh, you know, when the going has gone, gotten tough in our country, a lot of the comedians have picked up the job of uh, journalists. In talking about things that nobody else was willing to talk about. So,
2: yeah, still a long way to go.
1: We've seen this happen in the West as well, where the late night shows that the comedians were the ones who actually started yeah. calling out uh, bad behavior. So, yeah. that's my
2: dream, by the way, huh? to do uh, these late night shows kind of format.
1: I, I have gray hair <laughs>
2: also, so I qualify.
1: <laughs> awesome. I wish you luck.
2: Hey, thanks so much, Faye. All right,
1: this was fun. Thank you.
2: Thank you so Bye. much, Faye. Bye. Bye. And that was Faye D'Souza, one of my favorite, favorite journalists and also one of those rare journalists who not only understand what news should stand for, they also understand the business of news very, very deeply. I wish her luck. I am pretty sure that she's going to make a huge difference in this industry. So uh, please support her. Uh, she's coming out with a new venture called Beetroot, And uh, please go and subscribe whenever that comes out. Subscribe to her new service. As she said, uh, there are a few honest, hardworking journalists in the country. You just need to be careful about who you follow. Faye is certainly one of them, so please do follow her. And uh, be practical about the news that you consume. Uh, you know, news is dangerous. News is something that can shape a country, can shape opinions, can shape uh, individuals. So, you know, we'll leave it to you guys to be careful about what kind of news you want to consume. Also, uh, you know, you got to support people like Faye Souza out there. Uh, so please go follow her on her YouTube channel and on her Instagram channel. That's where she's putting out a lot of content of late. Very classy, uh, very relatable, very credible content, uh, news content, which is putting which she's putting out there. So please do follow her. And while you're at it, please do follow me on Instagram at Anshu underscore more. And on uh, Twitter at Anshu More. that's where I am and uh, if you like this episode please go talk about it with the hashtag stupid no more and share it with your friends and family and uh, I guess I'll see you next time with another episode of stupid no more see ya hey this is Anshu Moore and I'm the host of stupid no more if you ever wanted to start your own podcast you might think you need all kinds of equipment to set it up Well, it turns out, all you need is Anchor. Anchor is an all-in-one free tool from Spotify that lets you create your own podcast and get it heard everywhere. With Anchor, you can record, edit and be heard on all listening platforms. It also works in your web browser or right from Anchor's mobile app. And best of all, it's totally free. So make your podcast with Anchor today by going to anchor.fm. That's anchor.fm. FM. This is a Commune production. This episode was produced by Abbas Momin and supervised by Pranika Borkar. Vijay is our editor and sound designer.